The voice of reason. The voice of alarm. The voice of stats. The voice of scouts. The voice of Kool-Aid. The voice of dismay. The voice of Davo. Oh, the Royals struck out 20 times today. A franchise record against the Yankees. And over this four-game set, 53 Ks. Also a franchise record for a four-game series. That and a continued leaky bullpen means Casey drops three out of four in the Bronx and continues a downward spiral to begin the 2019 season. It's Davo. Glad you're along for another edition of your dish right here on Clubhouse Conversation, the place where we also catch up with all your favorite current and former Royals players and even some umpires. What am I talking about? Hey, make sure you are following us on Twitter before we get into this disappointing start to the season. Before we talk about that, we're going to get into all of it. This entire team we're going to go over here over the next 30 minutes or so. Before we get into it, though, at Royals Clubhouse on Twitter. That's at Royals Clubhouse. Clubhouse Conversation on Facebook. You can subscribe through the website on iTunes as well and get all of our dishes downloaded directly into your favorite device, your iTunes, whatever you may subscribe to, to listen to our episodes here on Clubhouse Conversation. Also... Weekly interviews during the season with current Royals players. In the last couple of weeks, we've had Ryan O'Hurd on. We've had Nikki Lopez on. Uh, we've had Chris Bubich on. Got another nice young Royals player this week coming up. We'll have some big league guys on as the summer goes on, as well as former Royals and former big league umpires during our umpire chat series. So lots going on this spring and summer and glad you're along on clubhouseconversation.com and on the Twitter at Royals Clubhouse, Facebook Clubhouse Conversation, and subscribing on iTunes. But let's dig in right now, because I know you want to hear right now on the dish about this 2019 bunch. It's been a few weeks since Clubhouse Conversation insider Jake Lutz and I did our season preview. And I feel like I let you down a little bit. I'm going to be honest with you. I told you that I thought this Royals team could win 76 games. And I think it's pretty clear they could win 76 games if they had a league average bullpen. I'm not even saying a good bullpen. You have HDH, and the Royals are in first place right now. But the way I look at it, if the Royals had a league average bullpen, because right now they're 7-15, that's the second worst record in all of baseball. Only the Marlins are worse. The Royals own the worst record in the AL. But they're 7-15. Even a league average bullpen, the Royals would be 11-11 right now, right? And we'll go through some numbers here in a little bit. But they would be 11-11. and That's with an average bullpen. A good bullpen, they're better. An average bullpen, they're 11-11. and And right in the thick of this thing, right? You're getting Danny Duffy back soon. And you've got some nice guys off to good starts in the minor leagues, which we'll talk about in a bit. I mean, you'd be pretty excited about 11-11. But 7-15, and you're already almost buried. I mean, let's be real. The Royals had a small margin of error to compete this year in the AL Central, and I told you I thought they would hang around till September. I thought this bullpen was going to be, dare I say, good? <laughs> and I feel like I let you down. I, I typically am, uh, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but typically I can call the seasons pretty well and, and come pretty close to my predictions on how the Royals and the AL Central will shake up. I was wrong. I, I really thought the additions of Jake Diekman, Brad Boxberger bringing back Willie Peralta, a renewed and rejuvenated Kyle Zimmer. I thought all these things with McCarthy and Hill back on on nice seasons. I I thought the Royals had a pretty nice bullpen lined up. Boy, couldn't I have not been any more wrong. Man, it's been bad. It's been really bad. The bullpen's been the big issue, obviously. So let's start there as we go through this team. If you go by, there's different metrics to go by. 
If you go by runs allowed per game, the Royals have the 25th ranked bullpen. Somehow there's five worst teams. I have no idea how in the hell there are five worst bullpens. <laughs> Actually, I do. I, I watch enough enough baseball to know that there are some bullpens that are worse. And we'll tell you those right now, actually. But the Royals give up 5.33. And the four teams that are worse, the White Sox, the Red Sox, the Mets, and the Orioles. Oh, yes, the Orioles, the team that I think will ultimately end up with the number one pick, them or the Marlins, I believe, will get the one and two picks in the draft. I think our Royals will probably be more like fourth or fifth. We'll see. I believe the Royals will improve as the year goes on. But talking about some other bullpen metrics, how about this? The Royals, not surprisingly, do lead all of baseball. They're all alone with seven blown saves. Nobody else has seven. So the Royals, the first team, seven blown saves already in 22 games. So basically one out of three games, the bullpen is blowing. So let's go through the bullpen here. Ian Kennedy has been great dare I say, outside of one outing. There was one rough outing where he blew one. I can't remember what game it was anymore. It was some afternoon game at home. I forget which one it was. They all blend together now. There's been too many of them. But Kennedy at 0.84 ERA. And yes, ERAs with relievers is a bit misleading. A reliever has you know one bad three or four run inning allowed, and it could screw up their ERA for most of the summer when they're only throwing, what, 50 innings, a lot of them per summer, something like that, 40 to 80 innings, whatever it may be. So you look at it that way. Also, inherited runners, you know, they can be getting blasted and allow inherited runners to score, but it doesn't show up on their ERA. So I admit ERA is not a great metric for bullpen, but just to be simplified here, we'll go through it that way. But Kennedy in 084 ERA, the strikeouts are there, 13 and 10 and two thirds. He looks pretty good out there on the pen. Obviously, at this point, you take it. I mean, Ian Kennedy's days as a starter, 34 years old, are behind him now, and it'd be nice if he could finish strong this year and next on his contract with the Royals, and you know maybe he'll get one more deal as a reliever after that somewhere else. But he's been pitching pretty well so far out of the pen. Scott Barlow, a guy that I've been a huge fan of since last year. I had that Dodger Scott I told you on the dish before the year tell me that he was by far the best minor league sign last offseason, Scott Barlow. And he was really good for the Royals last year before he got hurt, and he's picked up right where he left off. Eight innings this year, 10 Ks, 2.25 ERA. Why does Scott Barlow only pitching an inning at a time now? I mean, eight innings and five appearances. He's pitching less than two innings every time he goes out there. Like, there's been twice in the last week when the Royals blew games right after they took him out. One of the times he threw 13 pitches in one inning, you know, it was north of 20. Today, but I mean, Scott Barlow can certainly, he, he's been a starter the majority of his life. He can certainly go more than one inning at a time. So I've been a bit surprised that for as effective as he's been, that he hasn't been more of an old school traditional fireman type that gives you two innings, two and a third innings. And maybe we'll see more of that as the summer goes on. But Barlow has been fantastic, a guy that typically throws strikes and can miss bats. Richard Lovelady has been great in three or four outings, but otherwise it's been a complete dumpster fire. And the Royals do, by the way, need to get Lovelady in high leverage situations. I don't understand why Ned will ha- you know, has done that once so far, and that's it. Today, another prime example why Lovelady never came in this game today is beyond me. He was up once. Um, but, you know, Peralta got it instead, and and Diekman got it instead. Barlow pitched well, so I was okay with that one. But I'd love to see Lovelady get some more high-leverage situations. But it's been a complete dumpster fire otherwise, right? And listen to this money the Royals have paid. Between Brad Boxberger, Willie Peralta, and Jake Diekman... 
the Royals are doling out $8.2 million just this year alone. That's not counting the buyouts. It'll end up being something around $10 million for those three just for the, this one year. $10 million, basically, you're paying for Brad Boxberger, Willie Peralta, and Jake Diekman. You could do something really nice with $10 million. And I don't even want to talk about some of the relief pitchers that signed for much, much less than that. Or even, I don't want to talk about it. I'm not going to get into it. I'm going to get angry. <laughs> but Brad Boxberger making 2.2 mil with a 9.64 ERA. The stuff's not there. Since last June, his ERA is well over 10. The stuff's not there. Brad Boxberger's done. You can just tell the stuff's not there anymore. The velo's gone, and he's not the same pitcher as he was a few years ago. I'd be shocked if Brad Boxberger makes it at the end of this year with the Royals. This seems like a Justin Grimm part two. Willie Peralta, I'm kind of thinking the same thing. Some of these guys, I believe you'll see jettisoned once we hit the middle of the summer. The Royals want to give them every, you know, they're paying them either way. So I guess you may as well see if you can get something out of them. It'd be nice if the Royals would not pitch them all in high-leverage situations. If we saw more Barlow and Kennedy and Lovelady. You know, I'm not sure who's coming up for Sparkman going down, but it'd be nice if the Royals could get those three or four guys in ahead of these guys, right? But those guys are good for when you're behind or blowouts. To, to maybe you get one of those three throwing the ball well between Peralta, Diekman, and Boxberger, and you can flip one and get something at the deadline. But I do think the Royals will hold on to the majority of them until the deadline. I could see Boxberger being the first jettison of the three. I think Boxberger makes it to about June and he's out. I think Peralta might make it till the deadline. And I think Diekman's either here all year or it gets dealt. He's actually semi-useful. I believe Diekman will be a, a decent arm this year. I actually like him quite a bit, actually. 4-3-2 ERA has been worse than that because it doesn't account everything else like we talked about. But uh, between Diekman, Boxberger, and Peralta, they've all three been awful. Okay, awful is too strong for Diekman. But Peralta and Boxberger have both been awful. Peralta loves to give us a heart attack every time he comes in and walk guys and get guys on base. And, and we're assured by Ned that if he pitches every day – that he'll get better. Please, no, don't pitch him every day. I don't want to see it. I just, no, please. Before they went down, Kevin McCarthy, a 1964 ERA, Tim Hill, a 9 ERA, Zimmer, a 9 ERA, Sparkman, an 810 ERA. It's been a disaster. Otherwise, though, it really has been a pretty, I don't want to say good, but a pretty decent team the first month of the season, hasn't it? Rotation-wise, I mean, the Royals are not quite on the right side of average. They're on the wrong side of average. But the rotation is okay. If you have a league-average bullpen, it's good enough for the Royals to be a 500 baseball team in the AL Central, especially when you've got Danny Duffy coming back on Friday after a nice outing in Northwest Arkansas last night. He'll be starting at the K on Friday night. You go through the rotation, though. Brad Keller, very promising Start to the season. What was the thing we talked about coming into this season on the dish right here? We talked about the lack of strikeouts and, you know, will Babip get to him? Did he get lucky last year? And to a small degree, he probably did. Teams hadn't seen him. They hadn't taken him seriously. He wasn't missing bats as much as he needed to. But early on, it's been pretty encouraging. The 2-6-4 ERA, right where he left off, but the 26 Ks and 30 and two-thirds. If Brad Keller can get .8 K per inning, the Royals are going to really have something here. I mean, think number two, number three starter for a number of years. If he can miss bats, you know, go out there, throw six and a third or six and two thirds and strike out five or six a start with his movement and the way he throws and and the command he has. I really like Brad Keller's future. So he's been a nice bump up on the K per innings pitch. Last year, he struck out only 96 and 140. So obviously, 
you can do the math. The 26 and 30 and two-thirds versus 96 and 140 is a very nice start. And again, sample size, but it's still very encouraging. Another guy that, uh, you know, sample size, and I have I sent a tweet out about this guy a few days ago, Homer Bailey. How good does he look? It's only been four starts, and one of them is pretty rough, but three of them have been really good. A 4-3-0 ERA for Homer Bailey, who's essentially free this year. This is the kind of guy the Royals could get a lot for, by the way, at the deadline. This is the guy on the whole, on the whole roster – because the Royals aren't going to trade Whit Merrifield this year. It's not going to happen. I, I think Whit's here for at least another year. This is the guy at the deadline that you have to hope the Royals can really get something for. He's basically free. But the thing about him is it looks real to me. 23 innings, 27 Ks. He's missing bats. The stuff is there. I've been watching Homer Bailey for years. Well, watching him twice a year when he's actually healthy for years. But this, the stuff the last couple of years wasn't there. This year, he's sitting at 93 consistently. We're seeing him hang on to his velo, 93-94, late in the games. The secondary pitches, man, a lot sharper than I ever remember seeing from Homer Bailey. He looks legit. He really does out there. And he's missing more than, or not missing more than, but striking out more than one hitter in innings. So I really think there's something there with Homer Bailey. That That's a very nice story that not enough people are talking about. Just, just in the fact that it means the Royals could get a nice return. And a guy that hopefully is teaching things to the younger starting pitchers like your Brad Kellers and your Jake Junises, your Jorge Lopez's. Speaking of which, Lopez has been respectable. 4-3-0 ERA, a guy that ultimately may end up in the bullpen. I, I don't know. I, I still think he has a, a number four starter upside. I still think he has a decent chance of being a starting pitcher on the Royals' next run of the playoffs, whenever that might be. I do. I think, uh, I don't know, there's there's a good debate going on on Twitter. I was reading, I forget who posted it. I would give credit, but I forgot who posted it. But somebody was talking about the movement on his pitches versus clocking it up two or three miles an hour and throwing 95, 96 versus 92 with the movement. I don't know. It's interesting to think about which one is better for Lopez. But I do think there's something there with him. Jake Junis is going to improve greatly. 6.26 ERA, much better ex-FIP. He's going back in the right direction. He'll be fine. I like him a lot. So the rotation with Danny Duffy being added, you take your Phil Meyer out. I mean, I'm not worried about the Royals starting rotation this year or next year, and especially not in the future. You've got so many studs. Coar and Lynch and Bubich and Singer and Carlos Hernandez, and Griffin, and Blewett, and there's there's so many different possibilities. Who am I forgetting? There's so many. Del Rosario, Del Rosario, Yelfry. How do you, I forget the ASA's name. But there's so many possibilities up and down the system that the Royals should be fine when you've got a, a pretty decent two or three there building up in Keller and Junis, guys you think. Keller, Junis, and Lopez could easily be three through five types for a number of years in this Royals rotation. Then you bring in your... You know, you have one of those studs I just mentioned turn into a one, one turn into a two, and if you have to, you sign a free agent. The Royals rotation, I'm not worried about. It should be very nice, uh, you know, in the future and, and decent for this year into next as well. So the rotation is not the problem. It's not that far from league average. It's not league average, but it's not that far away. It doesn't stink. That's the good news. Offensively, the Royals are the same thing. They're slightly below average as an offensive team. But if you look through the numbers, the Royals 17th in runs scored, 18th OPS-wise. So, yeah, they're not quite league average, but they're putting up enough runs. Again, with with a league average bullpen, this this is a good enough offense to, to, to push 500 in the AL Central. 
I said that's why before the year I told you people laughed at me, and I understand why now. I mean, you're getting the last laugh. I thought this was a 76 or so win team that would come up short in the division, but I thought they'd finish third in the division because, and they still could. The White Sox and Tigers aren't running away with anything by any stretch as far as third place goes. But I mean, I thought this bullpen was going to be good. Like above average, and if they were, that you have to admit this probably could be a 500 team in the AL Central. So I hope people at least see my point there. Anyway, back on track with the offense. I mentioned the numbers where the Royals are on the slightly below average offensively. Some nice stories though. Where do we start? Let's start with Hunter Dozier. Man, guy we've had here on Clubhouse conversation. Go back and listen to our talk with him here on the site. Alex Gordon, we've had on the site. Whit Merrifield we've had on the site. We're going to talk about these three guys first. Listen to all three of those interviews if you get a chance. Go back in the current player interviews from a, the last few years. We've had him on multiple times. We've had Gordo on several times. We'll have him on again this summer. But Dozier, 982 OPS with five home runs. The guy's coming through with clutch hit after clutch hit. And that's that should be much higher, too. A guy whose exit velocity the first dozen games or so, and he was sitting there with uh, like a 190 average, and nothing was happening. He, he's been smoking the baseball all year. So that 982 is misleading. Hunter Dozier is north of 1,000 in my mind right now, OPS. He's been elite so far, and that's big news. Hunter Dozier looks like the player the Royals selected several years ago. Defensively, he's looked polished. I've been so impressed with Hunter Dozier. We had Ryan O'Hearn on a couple weeks ago, and he was telling me about him and Hunter practicing defense so much this winter, as much as anything. And you can tell from both. They've both been very good defensively, too. In fact, fact, this has been a, a, a good defensive team, a very good defensive team. You're a very good defensive team, slightly below average offense, and starting rotation. In a, in a horrible bullpen. That's where the Royals are at right now. Alex Gordon been great. Guy's going to win another gold glove. How about him, by the way, getting that fan interference turned into an out yesterday? And and a fellow and I disagreed on this on Twitter. I believe the, the Torres, Glaber Torres, was called out because of Gordon's reputation that he would have caught that. I, I, I think if you put... I don't know who's another random left fielder. Let's say you put Robbie Grossman out there or something. I, I don't know that they call that an out. I, th- I think they call that a double. I don't know. I just feel like Gordon got them the out because of his reputation. Anyway, it doesn't really matter because it happened. But Gordo defensively should win another gold glove this year. 938 OPS, though. That's the story. Three home runs. This looks like Alex Gordon of old. He's using the whole field. He's going to left field, beating that shift a lot. He's hitting the ball to left with authority. Gordo looks phenomenal out there. Whit Merrifield, the club franchise-breaking hit streak. That was awesome. A solid 802 OPS. He'll pick it up. He'll get better. He'll end up around 850. Very nice player. Alberto Mondes, he looked like an MVP candidate the first seven games or so, then slowed down, but now making – actually, it wasn't seven games, first five games or so. Then slowed down, now making nice adjustments, though. 786 OPS, he'll be 850 by June 1st. Jorge Soler has been a, a disappointment so far with the 772 OPS, the 5Ks today. He doesn't make adjustments at bat to a bat, let alone pitch to pitch, and most don't. Most Hardly anybody. The Hall of Famers make the, – okay, the All-Stars make adjustments pick to, pitch to pitch. The good players make adjustments at bat to a bat. He'll be a good player. There's a lot there with Solaire, but disappointing start to the year. I expect he'll put the Royals on his back and carry him for a while, as he typically does. Well, since he typically does, but he, we've seen it last year for a week, and the, and the Cubs saw it before, too. When he's healthy, he'll hit. Get him as a bats, he'll hit. Now, why... Okay, Chris Owings and Lucas Duda, because I know you want me to talk about Chris Owings and Lucas Duda because they're the whipping boys on, on Royals Twitter. And and fair enough. It's not their fault. They're both good human beings. They both do have 
some clubhouse leadership. They've they both got some some good qualities. They're both oh okay Owings okay Owings. I have no trouble being on this baseball team, right? Chris Owings is a useful player, but but Chris Owings is a useful player when he's playing three times a week. Chris Owings is a tremendous utility player. Chris Owings should be starting three times a week, twice a week, three times a week, once a week in the outfield, once a week at second, once a week at third or short. That's it. That's Chris Owings. He can play all over the place in small quantities. He can do the little things in theory. We haven't seen it much. We've seen him become less pull conscious the last seven to 10 days. Early on, he was trying to pull everything. It was horrible. The bats were just awful. I believe he's 0 for 5 now with runners at third and one out and getting them home this year, which is horrible. I mean, if you're a utility player, you have to get the guy in from third base two-thirds of the time with one out. You, you Whatever it takes, you make contact. You bunt if you have to. You get him in, and he hasn't. He's been awful. But, but, but that's because he plays every day. It's not totally his fault. Now, he signed here for the money, yes, which the Royals probably did overpay when you see guys like Josh Harrison going for $2 million, who was a two-time All-Star. But I digress. But he also signed here for the opportunity because there was a market for Chris Owings. He's a nice player, good clubhouse guy, but he just shouldn't be playing every day. That's my thoughts on Chris Owings. It's not, you know, whatever. The, the 260 on base percentage is horrible for him. Now, Lucas Duda shouldn't be on this team, period. There's, there's no reason Lucas Duda is on this team. And that's not that's not me hating on Duda. I like him. But why is he on this team? There's no reason. You already have a left-handed first baseman slash DH. Well, first baseman. No, Hearn is good enough defensively, obviously, to play first base. You've already got your left-handed first baseman who, at this point in his career, is unproven against left-handed pitching. But he hasn't really gotten a chance, in fairness, of O'Hearn. And if you go back and look at the minor league numbers, O'Hearn has hit okay against lefties. So he's why would you get the exact same player? Like, O'Hearn, though, has a lot more upside. O'Hearn actually will get better than Duda won't. Duda's best years are behind him. So why are you bringing in a similar prototype player who's on the way down when you've already got one on the roster who's on his way up? It made absolutely no sense at the time they did it. They jettisoned him or jettisoned Brian Goodwin? who's been awesome for the Angels early on. They did, got rid of Goodwin to keep Duda? And then it was even more bizarre when you had Duda, Schwindel, and Gore on the bench. The roster construction and, uh, and this offense has been, or this team in general, has just been weird this year. You can say bad. Bad's fair, too, because why is Duda on the team? I mean, I've heard, well, he's great with watching film and he teaches the young guys, but, but who is he really trying to teach? This really isn't that young position-wise of a team. I mean, look around the field. Billy Hamilton's a veteran. Alex Gordon's a veteran. At this point, Jorge Soler's basically a veteran who just needs to stay healthy, right? Uh, I mean, I guess Dozier and O'Herney helps, but, I mean, Merrifield's a veteran. Maldonado's a veteran. I don't really understand why Duda's here. But anyway, surprisingly... He does have a 340 on base. He does give you good at-bats. I mean, Duda does have pretty good at-bats. He did win one game against Cleveland basically on his own. That Kluber game really was all him. Not all him, but he, he played a big role. But other than that, I mean, the 340 on base, the 725 OPS, which is not good for a corner. And again, it's sample size, but it's not going to get better. He is who he is, and he's a guy who had a nice career at the end of his career. I, I don't get it. I don't know why he's here. It makes no sense. Terrence Gore, no idea why he's, why he's here on a team that's going nowhere. He's now been picked off two games in a row as a pinch runner. We've seen that before in the past. 
So where does this team end up, you might ask me? Well, like I said earlier, better than I, better than they are now. This team is not going to lose 100 games. I'll stick by that. No doubt. No way. I said 76 wins before the year. I'm, I'm going to go 66 to 68. I think they're more like a 60, probably 67 team win. I do think the Royals will end up with a third or fourth pick. Probably fourth, fifth, third or fifth, somewhere in there. We'll say fourth. Say we'll, we'll say 67 wins, fourth overall pick next year's draft. And hopefully, God, after that great pick last year and the number two this year and maybe number four next year, hopefully that's the end of the Royals having super high draft picks. We've got to get this thing going in the right direction with attendance going down and you know the new TV contract. What a, what a bad time for the TV contract. You know Why couldn't it have been two years ago that this outdated thing ended? For a number of reasons. Royals were playing better. Uh, TV contracts were going for more. Now you've got MLB talking about taking over, and you know who knows what the future of local sports goes with, with TV contracts and the mediums that fans will get their games in the future. Now, minor league-wise, there's a lot of good things going on. That's one good thing. The Royals have a lot of good things. We'll focus on AAA on this dish, just a few guys that we'll see coming up here. I do believe we'll see Nicky Lopez. People have been asking about that. Uh, I think it's probably... Well, okay. I don't think Lopez comes up till about the trade deadline unless there's an injury. And inevitably, there probably will be, right? I hate saying that, but somebody will probably, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, when you've got, when Lopez can play second or short and you've got other guys that can move across the field like Owings and Merrifield, I mean, if an Owings goes down or a Merrifield goes down or a Mondesi goes down or a Dozier goes down, Lopez will be the, the the one that makes the most sense to come up and play every day because you've got enough guys that can move around and, and cover third base or cover second base or cover short that it shouldn't be too difficult to find him a spot later on. The Royals are not going to walk away from Chris Owings at all this year. He'll be on the roster of the whole team unless he gets traded at the deadline, which is pretty likely. He'll probably get dealt in July. He's got value as, as a utility guy. So I don't think the Royals bring up Lopez until July unless there's an injury, but I do think we'll see him as the everyday second baseman or close to every day, coming up around mid to late July. Bubba Starling, I think we'll see him a little sooner. Again, depends on injury, but you know this team's not going to go injury-free all year, right? You've got guys like Soler with a, with a history of injuries. You've got guys like Duda, who, who knows what they'll do with him. I mean, it would make sense to have Starling up here now, honestly, the, the way this roster is constructed. I mean, you've got Duda and Gore, and anyway, we already talked about that. But I do think we'll see Bubba Starling if he stays healthy off to a great start. Let's hope he does stay healthy. Josh Stamont could be as here as soon as tomorrow with Glenn Sparkman sent down. Ar- Arnaldo Hernandez is on the 40, a nice starting pitching prospect. That's off you know, to a pretty good start. Kevin Gutierrez has been raking down in Omaha. I think we'll see him, but probably not until September, especially since we're down to what the last this is like the last year of traditional September call-ups this year. So I think Kelvin Gutierrez will definitely be up here. In September, probably not before then, barring injury or something crazy. But there's some nice guys coming up from Omaha. There's some some nice relievers that we could see. I don't think you see any of the next quote unquote core. I mean, some of the core is already here: Dozier, Mondesi, Merrifield, O'Hearn, Keller, Junis. So some of those guys are already here that'll be here with the next wave. But you know, the Khalil Lee guys and the Singers and Lynches and Coars and Matias and Melendez on all those guys. You know, a lot of those guys won't get here if they get here. A lot of them won't get here until 2021. Some of them we'll start seeing next year in 2020. But, you know, the majority of the quote-unquote next core, you know, of the guys I mentioned, Gutierrez could be a part of that. Um, Starling could be a part of that, I suppose. You know, those three or four guys I mentioned could be a part. Those are probably the only guys that are quote-unquote part of the next core that could be up 
this season. But some nice things going on throughout the system. Hope you've enjoyed this dish right here on Clubhouse Conversation. We'll try to do these every three to four weeks. Typically, Jake Lutz will join us. Him and I's schedules have been crazy. He's been in Hawaii for like two weeks, that lucky guy. So we'll get to these every three or four weeks, the dishes here on Clubhouse Conversation, and continue to give you close to weekly interviews during the season and multi you know, monthly interviews in, in the winter time. So tell a friend. It means a lot if you do about Clubhouse Conversation. Follow us on the Twitter, at Royals Clubhouse, on Facebook. Um, and appreciate you listening here and spending the last 30 minutes with me, Davo, on Clubhouse Conversation. I hope you enjoy the rest of your Sunday, and we'll talk to you soon. Go Royals.